You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we feature part three of a three-part show with Indigenous Action Network hosts Bearcat and Klee in conversation with Seneca Six Nations organiser Amanda Lickers about land trauma and some of the ways in which the climate justice movement continues to perpetuate white supremacy, capitalism and colonialism. This audio was sourced with thanks from Indigenous Action at indigenousaction.org. And we suffer from attacks on who we are through dehumanization, which, you know, of course, when um, people are dehumanized, their exploitation is expected. And I think like you sort of identifying how policing works, because I mean, you know, if we look at Standing Rock, as you keep referencing, or any other front lines of the struggles in resistance to ongoing resource colonialism, the police are the front line to defend capital, to defend the colonial system. So, you know, I mean, even the movement to defund the police, it's like, what are we talking about in economic struggle? Are we talking about something deeper? So, you know, I wanted to shift the conversation towards, you know, the inevitable question of like, where do we go from here? And I think we're stuck between this um, Green New Deal, which basically is reinforcing exactly what you're, you know, you're, you're addressing part of its cores is that there will always be a legislated enforceable component that is tied to the violence of the state, which is usually represented through the police and driven by capitalist interest. So it's, it's deeply embedded in the colonial project, settler colonial and resource colonial projects. And then, you know, on, on the flip side of that, as part of a, a response has been the Red New Deal from the Red Nation, which a lot of leftists are embracing because it uses a lot of great buzzwords, but it's a largely plagiarized document. It's not original, and even the Red Nation acknowledges that in their text. But the ultimate proposal is this Marxist organization's proposition is for a decolonized authoritarian worker-run state as their solution. Um, and then on, on another side of this, we also have um, eco-fascists, um, you know, who are blaming migrants, you know, or overpopulation and looking at a range of other, you know, responses. And eco-fascism isn't just a unique expression from the right. It's also, you know, embedded in Mm -hmm. like anarchist or left, you know, radical leftist spaces as well. You brought up the issue of like climate anxiety. And we've, we've written a bit about this with indigenous action, but even the sort of talking point that people are using a lot is is that indigenous people protect 80% of the world's biosphere. And we have this new report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from the UN who are sounding, you know, even much more as this sort of doomer alarm of the stakes being extremely high and the time frame being extremely limited. But then when we see like the responses, the reactions, these are some of the places that we're stuck between. So the question again is where do we go from here? What what strategies and tactics should we be focusing on from your perspective? You've brought up, you know, sovereignty and you brought up some of these other things. I'm curious as to what your response is. 
Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. Um, I think like also the spread nation needs to pick up a dictionary and look up the word decolonized because <laughs> come on. Oh, it's that bad. You know, I mean, it just goes to show how bad things are. I think it's worse than it's ever been. I feel, you know, to be honest, um, in terms of just critical thinking and even shared understandings around things. And at least in my, from my lived experience in my lifetime, where things are at. And yeah, I hear it all the time. These kind of eco-fascist perspectives within leftist spaces of like overpopulation is the problem. It's like, no, that is not, that is not, that is not the problem. How many human beings are on this earth is not the problem, you know? And it's like, it comes down again to these systems of exploitation. And it's like, what we need is to actually dare to dream of something different instead of just reforming the same cycle of abuse again and again and again and again over the land as a resource. Like, you know, just coming, we need to back it up, doctrine of discovery, terra nullius, and we need to unwind this thinking and no longer look at the land as empty as the, the peoples of the lands as non-existent as subhuman you know this is these are the this is the stuff that needs to be done and i think like also it really comes into that nation building piece as well so it's that interpersonal and individual you know healing journey of dealing with our own traumas and whatever we can within our families and healing our lines for the next generations but also how do we bring that back to our clans and into our nations and really rebuilding our structures our longhouses, our lodges, and how are we coming back to our original instructions? And I think that needs to be the focus for us as Indigenous peoples is all of that. And like, honestly, too, like learn your languages as much as you can and speak to your elders, you know, as much as we can, because we're in a time where we're going to need this information and we're going to have to pass it on to the next generations. And at the end of the day, protecting our territory is the most important thing that we can be doing. And I think for folks on the outside for non-natives it's like smarten up like get it together this is sad this is really sad and it's not about whether or not the earth will survive that's not the conversation you know it's going to be whether the ecosystems that as we know of them today will survive you know including us right and so it's not like the earth is not going to find a way to regenerate life one day or that there will be some, some, you know, some survivors who are able to withstand, you know, but it's all this, it's the suffering in the meantime and who's being most, um, like proportionally impacted by that. And so I think like, you know, no more flashy campaigns, no more money to the state, no more money to NGOs, like grassroots, sacred fire, you know, team up affinity group only don't publicize what you're doing no more talk only action you know like call on the beaver nation if you must you know what i'm saying like and elsie did it and they did it they were successful and they were successful they pushed swin out and that's something to say you know because at the end of the day they have so much you know and there's a lot of you know, counterintelligence, you know, Gord Hill, he publishes so much stuff around counter, co uh, counterintelligence tactics and ways to prevent, you know, drone surveillance and all of these types of things. So we need to be taking it a little more seriously and not so like, like set the egos to the side. You know, it's not about who you're snagging on the front lines. Okay. It's not about any of that shit. We need to seriously 
get it together. I heard this one person say before, like he's uh, from the Mohawk nation. He's like a, he's very knowledgeable, older generation. I guess you could say an elder too, you know, but he's very, very super knowledgeable. And he was like, you know, prayers, if you're hungry, do you pray? No. Like you go out and you feed your family. You know what I mean? I really value that perspective. But at the same time, we do need to also engage our ceremonies. And like, maybe this is something where we need to ask, I don't know, the star lodges for help, or maybe there are, you know, our, whatever you want to call it, like our, you know, our indigenous like power, you know, that's like beyond these like sort of settler views of like time and all this stuff, you know, like we can tap into and get some assistance, you know, but at the same time and at, and at the same time, it's like, and for me, it's not, or, or, or it's, and, and, and we need to all of these things at the same time, you know, so work on our trauma identify predatory behavior, uplift our, our sovereignty, our nation building, learn our territories, do what we can to be within the cycle of the natural world and stop putting shit on social media, do it in the real life. And like, whatever, I watch TikTok. I don't know if that's whatever. I watch TikTok, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, not using the internet, but at the same time, like it's at the point where, you know, The police in China, they have facial recognition technology in their glasses and they scan a crowd just looking for warrants. Like this is not like the Snapchat filters. They're not just for you to look cute and to look like a puppy dog. They're literally, this is big technology. They are collecting so much data and they are practicing the, you know, they're, they're fine tuning these technologies on the general population and you're uploading your face and it's facial recognition technology that software it's it's interlinked you know and just like with the g20 summits like whenever they put in a bunch of new infrastructure within the city to monitor what's happening they don't take it out at the end it's still there so you're walking around and your your face you're being monitored you know we are being monitored whether it's actively by whatever piglets are being paid to listen to our podcast right now. Hello, FBI. Hello, RCMP. Hello, CSIS. How are you guys doing? Pay some bills. But anyway, you know, but or it's indirectly. And soon it's going to be done by artificial intelligence. It's going to be algorithms. And it's already happening on Instagram. People talk about being shadow banned. You know, so all this type of stuff, like we need to seriously come correct with some critical thinking and that this is, it's not safe. We really are not safe. And we need to also like adapt as such. I think that with the way that advocacy and even post, I don't know more, it was like, you know, we need to be visible and we need to share our voices, which is true. But there's also, you know, I think it's come almost to celebrity at this point. And where are the priorities, you know, because at the end of the day, and like, whatever, I'm already on shoutouts, callouts, but like honor the earth, like they're not supporting people in the long term, you know, just like indigenous environmental n- network, like how many people you know, had to deal with all of this state violence and where was the aftercare? Where was the system? Where was the support? Where was people getting money to be able to show up to court or even just to pay their bills or to get therapy or to get physiotherapy? You know, all the types of things that are being pushed onto our marginalized community members for certain people to build a pl- platform. And it's not a popular opinion and it's not. And it's like, Anyway, I'm just going off. 
Yeah, go off. <laughs> That's what this section's for. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to. It needs to be said. <laughs> You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Yeah, and uh, I mean the the whole, you know, part of our tagline. One is we're autonomous, anti-colonial, anti-capitalist, uh, and we, you know, celebrate the bridges that burn that light our way or the wagons that burn that we burn have to burn to light our way and i think these are important critical conversations because these are desperate times and you know the more that the state represses us cuz the, the state violence is real in these nonprofit or ngos that are just feeding people into that so they can you know take some pictures and satisfy their funders and increase mm-hmm. their revenue streams and we talk about it being the colonizer's burden with this idea of, um, you know, the indigenous people protect 80% of the world's biosphere. You know, the, I, the twisted logic of uh, settler colonialism and climate activism is to reduce our ways and beings to, you know, and, and complex ongoing struggles to campaign talking points mm-hmm. that only prove that we deserve a seat at the table. And what we wrote is that it's changed through arithmetic by way of better self-marketing, branding, and advertising, when through ceremony and a myriad of tactically dynamic direct actions, we protect all of existence, not just percentages. And this is part of the problem with these talking points. You know, our power isn't found at the colonizer's table. It's found and rekindled in its well-fed flames. Another thing that we wrote about was, um, you know, the forefront, and I think you've touched on this quite a bit, is um, the forefront of indigenous climate justice groups uh, that proselytize the narrative of their own victimhood um, in terms of that increase funding streams to their nonprofit corporations to pay their bloated salaries in climate action protestations, I guess, um, aka PR stunts with the legal team and retainer, you know, all, all while mm. they compete for the spotlight and rally with celebrities to build organizational recognition and homogeneity of popular purpose, not to mention a standardization of the rote tactical and strategic stagnation, which, you know, Mm -hmm. we're talking about marching in circles. We had these same conversations and critiques, you know, during the climate justice marches that they had in uh, New York City, where they had Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Like, you know, leading the march and indigenous people, you know, vying for that space at the front. This is indigenous struggle. This is our land. And now indigenous, um, you know, some of these nonprofit indigenous groups are celebrating that the um, IPCC report, uh, recent report, acknowledges colonialism and, and, and references colonialism. But it also, I mean, there are whole sections on tourism. <laughs> you know, it talks about tourism more than colonialism. You know, there's nothing that it's um, uh, committed to addressing on a systemic level when it's ultimately reinforcing itself and um, its machinations that are established on the destruction of Mother Earth and its people. That's part of the issue I have too, is just like the 
logic of nonprofit climate justice activism is is that it puts people in these compartments. It's like, oh, this is their issue. This is what they're working on. This is what this organization is working on. It's just like, no, we all have shared responsibility because we are living in this planet that is being burned by capitalists and colonizers. I just want to add to like, you know, the internet, that was a military invent, like this was developed through the, through the military and its applications are military. Okay. And even when we look at, there was on TikTok recently, they were like, oh, what to do when like a robot dog polices the US-Mexico border, you know, like this is, it's not a joke, like, and it's coming so fast. And we think that regular, regular cops suck. Like, imagine when they're robots, you know, like the coming robocop apocalypse is not going to be fun. And it's like, yeah, it's coming quickly. We need to get that together a little bit. I just wanted to add that because this is something I've just been really on. Um, and just the view of like Western technology as superior when it clearly isn't. And even looking at settler colonialism as a set of technologies and the way that green capitalism is like fits right into that, it's assimilating dissent and all of that, you know, momentum that could be poured into because, you know, there's obviously young people coming up 20, 19, 18 years old. Like they know, they know how bad we of a situation they are and people do have a sense of anxiety and panic and they want to do something and they want to do direct action but they just don't have anywhere to connect to and the spaces that do um have access to them are bringing them back inside of the machine you know so it's really it's a lot of work cut out for us and also too just on land trauma like i think it's really important to recognize that this is something that we're all dealing with as indigenous peoples and it's also so culturally specific you know depending on your sacred sites and also your lived experiences and where you've grown up so i just like i'm definitely always interested to hear uh, you know what other people have to say about this or how it's impacted them because it can sometimes be hard always speaking into the negative of like articulating the violence um and it's really interesting to sort of see and that's where i'm kind of starting to think now is like where does that sort of land healing come and i see it especially in you know some of my peers who are doing a lot of like food sovereignty work around seed saving planting harvesting and there's a lot there that's super generative and even too like learning you know and practicing remediation techniques and pulling out these like heavy metals from our territories like once we reach our futurity you know our anti-colonial decolonial you know sovereign future you know how are we going to heal the land where's the reciprocity back to the territory so yeah i guess for call um shout outs i guess um yeah, Buckskin Babes, Urban Moosehide Tanning Collective. We don't have any social media yet. Uh, one day we will, I guess. Um, I have been working on what I like to call a life-affirming art practice. Um, I have an Instagram handle. It's called Scrim Scrap with uh, SKs. Yeah, I don't know. I've been just trying to lay low and make it through. But it's really nice to speak with folks and just to feel connected and just to address all of these things. Like... There's a lot of baggage, I think, that we're all dealing with within the climate justice movement, even within, you know, our own sovereignty movements and all those sort of like internal politics of abusers and sellouts and, you know, the impacts of NGOization. It's really hard to 
divest from a system that everyone's participating in. So it's really important to build those networks of mutual aid and to reach out to each other. So I just want to say, you know, Niawa to Bearcat and Klee for inviting me out. Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming on. And I was very excited to get a chance to talk to you. And, um, you know, you're just very inspiring your work. And uh, thank you for all the, the effort and the work that you put in. It does not go unnoticed, even though sometimes it feels like it, even though sometimes <laughs> everything you say makes everyone mad. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, Yo. and I, I just want to emphasize this because I think there's a lot of young people, especially, and I think that's, you know, you're talking about folks who are, they want to do shit. They're, they have that panic, that anxiety, and they want to rush to the front lines. And who is it managed by? These nonprofit mm-hmm. capitalists who are, you know, securing their streams to funders um, or, you know, groups, you know, Marxist groups who are trying to be the vanguard and, you know, pull people in, into their, like, um, agendas, their platforms. When, you know, we, even with IEN, as you mentioned, like, you know, this is, I guess, a bit of my call out thing too, is um, like they've issued a report last year where I think they said that, um uh, indigenous resistance to 20 fossil fuel projects has stopped or delayed carbon emissions equivalent to approximately 25% of us and Canada's overall emissions. Um, so they were like, you know, these climate activists were, um, revealing the power of direct action, but, um, the critique is, is that they've also assigned their campaigns more credit than is due, particularly because they cited losses like Dakota access pipeline and line three projects in the reports, but it, you know, to me, it, it's it's the concern is, is that it tends towards a diluted climate optimism, where if we're not being honest with and about the failings of our movements, what is yeah. shifting tactics and, and more importantly, adjusting our overall strategies toward the end of yet more changing statistics matters. You know, it's basically a sales, a dishonest sales pitch that side, sidesteps the important conversations of what is actually working to stop climate catastrophe. Um, and, you know, I think that basically, I mean, I'm just not convinced that making this about a numbers game to celebrate the disrupting of 25% of an industry when we've lost over 98% of the battles in a war with such high stakes, um, mm. particularly when these activist campaigns have spent hundreds of millions of dollars with thousands of our relatives being jailed and dragged through the racist court systems. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard not to be pessimistic, but I think it's not a persistent job or role. It's our, our responsibility. And especially when we center our lives, or at least part of our lives is in orbit to or proximity to ceremony, and we try to bring that back and connect that more um, around these sacred fires and so forth, or whatever teachings people have, we find that assurance and understanding. And as it's been articulated through teachers that I've had in you know, everybody says climate change is the greatest threat to humanity. Well, it's a consequence of the war against Mother Earth. And if we don't understand things in those terms and look at the spiritual tools that we have to address these wars, because they've happened before, you know, worlds have ended before, but it's a, it's a, it's a cycle. And when you talk about future futurity, you know, the difference between settler futurity and indigenous futurity and the cyclical understandings of how we're connected. I think that that's part of it. And that's where we break from this idea of being the colonizer's burden. I think that's why we're here sharing this space is that we don't want an ecologically friendly settler colonial state. We seek to abolish its very existence. 
Exactly. Like you can put windmills on the cities all you want, but settler colonialism is not sustainable and nor, nor should it be, you know, nor can it be. And I think like just even just reorienting the conversation to again, that root point of the war against mother earth is so critical and just this worldview. And that comes out of these Christian, you know, these Christian, you know, the popple bulls and like the origins of slavery and, you know, what eventually becomes chattel slavery and all these intersections, you know, where it's like anti-black racism is also part of this conversation of settler colonialism that's built wealth um, for the settler colonial project. And the violence is extremely intersectional and like, so must our resistance be. And I just really appreciate everything you're saying there, Clee, to ground the conversation and, I feel good. I feel like excited and like some kind of embers inside of me, you know, because we have a lot of collective power and like also too, like, let's be real. A lot of that biodiversity is like, even in the Amazon, you know, you've got uncontacted nations that are striking down like Mormons, you know, by the, by the river, like every day. And, (laughs) you know, so it's like, it's so decentralized what a lot of our work is and as you know indigenous people all over the world you know who are protecting our traditional territories like it's extremely decentralized and it's based in that responsibility you know for it's that inherent responsibility like we have as members of a family to protect our future and protect the natural world which gives us everything you know our identity our language our laws our our survivance our thrivance so yeah thank you You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week we heard part three of a three-part show with Indigenous Action Network hosts Bearcat and Klee in conversation with Seneca Six Nations organiser Amanda Lickers about land trauma and some of the ways in which the climate justice movement continues to perpetuate white supremacy, capitalism and colonialism. This audio was sourced with thanks from Indigenous Action and IndigenousAction.org and you should definitely check them out and support the excellent and radical projects that they do. And you can connect with and support Amanda Licker's untiring and amazing activism at Instagram at scrimpscrap, that's S-K-R-I-M-P-S-K-R-A-P and paypal.com forward slash paypal me forward slash a liquors and you can find those links on our podcast page at 3cr.org.au forward slash earth matters earth matters would like to thank the community broadcasting foundation for their generous support and the community radio network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And, of course, you can also find us on your socials. 
That's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental justice stories. on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. 